The issues discussed on the Roll Call Room podcast do not reflect the opinions of any specific agency. Any characters discussed on this show may be fictional for comedic value unless you're a shitbag Steve. This podcast is rated explicit and listener discretion is advised. You know when there's nothing left to do but to fight? With everything you've got to get back up. There's a word for it. Resilience. And that word comes down to such a simple test. Not much involved. But in the moments that matter most, it's everything. You and a mirror looking into your own eyes and realizing there's nowhere else to go but up and being ready for what that takes. It's a single decision. The same decision you'll need to make every day. Get up. Get up. Get up. It's what brings people back when an injury makes it look to everyone else that all is lost. But it's not. It's what gets someone to write letter after letter after letter, looking for a job because they know all they need is a start. It's what causes someone to keep moving straight forward even when the start of their journey should have knocked them off track. You and Amir, same decision every day. Because the thing is that comebacks mean the damage is already done. Comebacks only happen after things get hard. It happened and only you know how dark it gets. Resilience and grit, these aren't pretty words. They mean something much more to those who know them well. These words have scars. They symbolize the battle, but they're also the gateway to something so special. It's what it means to lose eight elections, be in bed for six months after a nervous breakdown, then to get up and do what it takes to enter the books of history. It's the power behind getting rejected 12 times before smashing almost every record and every ceiling imaginable. Resilience. That's the word left when the storms keep coming. When things go from bad to worse, every reason to stop trying. The moment we all get humbled by at some point, sometimes more than once. There are times for dreams. And sometimes there is only time for the reality of now picking up one foot, then the other, starting to move forward step by step, tears and frustration, another step, hurt and sadness, another step, shaking off what was, you just keep going. It's the light that finally breaks after the darkest of nights. In the moment that matters, you and Amir, same decision every day knowing it's going to be long, knowing there is no other way. That is resilience.
Hello, and welcome to the Roll Call Room podcast, the podcast that pissed shitbag Steve's off and fucked over my dad. And now your host and my daddy, Nick. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Roll Call Room podcast. I am your host, Nick. And if you have been living under a rock, um, Mike, the artist formerly known as Mike, is no longer with the show. Uh, We miss him dearly. Um, Mike, no matter how many restraining orders you get against me, I will always continue to love you. Anyway, uh, so um, back by popular demand... Dave Copenhaver is with us again. How are you, bud? I'm doing good, buddy. How was your weekend? It was fantastic, man. It's fantastic, um, you know, catching up a lot of Netflix and Disney Plus and um, Live PD. Go figure. Um, I've been watching a lot of old Cops episodes. When Back like 1993. Yes, yes. When, like, they didn't give a, they didn't give a fuck that, like, cameras were behind None them. None were given. No, and the cameramen didn't wear bulletproof vests, and they would just—it was wild, just wild, wild, wild. And have like two-hour car chases in L.A. Oh, it was fucking amazing when police work was real police work, um, and then certain instances destroyed that. But you know, uh, we uh, let the Patreon users um, name your episode, which they named it. Um, Two beers only, sir, uh, which I thought was hysterical. Uh, they had many, many different, many different options to name your um, episode, but they decided on only two beers, sir. That was the title. So we released that episode um, almost immediately. It skyrocketed overnight. And um, whenever I do these, whoever the guest is, I always tell them, you know, you're going to get people that are going to reach out to you on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. They're going to reach out to you or they'll reach out to me and then I'll pass it on to you. And your episode just like lit up like fire. Um, I was getting inbox messages from people specifically. You know, the funny thing is, as we talked about in episode one, a lot of newer officers under three years, uh, under five years, um, reaching out going, you know, this, this guy is amazing. He's awesome. And you can tell that he's an instructor. Um, when are you going to have them on again? And then you and I kind of joked about it on social media, right? We were like, on a second time, you know? Um, And then you and I talked and you were like, there was a lot more that I wanted to talk about that, like I didn't get to. So here we are part two, bud. Absolutely. Did you get a lot of people reaching out to you? Um, I got two inbox messages specifically. Mm -hmm. And uh, it seems like on, on the, DUI page on Facebook, there's a lot of uh, positive input from other guys. So, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of messages that I got from newer officers were that in the academy, you really you get the checkoffs, the, the checkoff boxes in the academy so that you get certified as a law enforcement officer. And there's certain criteria that needs to be met. Uh, for Virginia, it's called DCJS certification. Right. You have to go through a wet lab. 
you have to be able to show proficiency in field sobriety tests. Uh, you need to be able to identify driving behavior, so on and so forth. After that, if you don't get a DWI during field training, which is a possibility, I mean, it is a possibility, especially if you work in daylights on field training the whole entire time, you may not get a DUI. So then when you get cut loose for solo patrol, your skill set or your comfort level for DUIs is not very high. Um, and it's definitely it's a perishable skill. Oh, totally, totally. And if you if you're not practicing this or using it a lot, you know, six months from now when you try to field test an impaired or not impaired driver, mm-hmm. you know, your game's not going to be near as sharp. Yeah, and and those cases, DUIs and drug drug cases, will almost always. Um, find some sort of legal roadblock like oh, absolutely you go to court like your first like your first couple because i remember when i first started getting into duis it was trial on everything and then after a while the public defenders are just like they're just like oh no i see i see your name on the, the this paperwork <laughs> we'll just do the absolutely. normal plea deal you know so kudos to those that reached out um especially the newer officers you're going to want to buckle up um, and listen to uh, some of the stuff Dave's got uh, to talk about today. Um, I have fully witnessed two separate lists that he has. So <laughs> there is shit written down. Yeah. You excited? Um, I'm stoked. All right. I what have, um, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I said, what do you got? Okay. So about five years ago, I came up with a list. Uh, Dave's top 10 thoughts or tips for new officers in law enforcement. Perfect. So I was teaching at our criminal justice Academy and it did, it was just, it was really organic. It just came to me one night and I posted on Facebook and uh, it kind of spiraled from there. So not all of them pertain to DUI enforcement or impaired driving enforcement. Some of it's just really general law enforcement stuff. And then I got one that's more specific to that I came up with this week. So here's Dave's top 10 list. Number one, you need to learn how to do basic patrol duties first before you put in for a specialized unit. Mm. I went into a specialized unit right out of field training. I had a blast, but was behind others when I, others I was hired with when promotions came up. Because I'm running around on dope dealers and dope neighborhoods while they're processing burglary scenes. So stuff that came up on promotion boards they were familiar with, and I was totally lost in the sauce. Yeah, and that and that pertains also to promotional opportunities later on. I've watched uh, officers that have um, gone into a specialized unit and then have done their whole career in a specialized unit, and then they get promoted, and they can't run a scene. They they can't command a scene, a basic crime scene, because they've spent their entire career in CSI or the um, you know detective bureau. So. I 100% agree with you on the first one. Uh, number two, go to a law enforcement funeral as soon as possible. Mm. It's going to make you realize this is an Xbox and you can't hit restart. Mm-hmm. I went to my first one probably about six months on the job. Uh, actually, it was First Sergeant Frankie Lingard from the South Carolina Highway Patrol. He was the last law enforcement officer killed in 1997. It was on New Year's Eve, and he was shot and killed on I-95. And that made me realize this wasn't cops Mm-hmm. Uh, my first, first piece of advice. Uh, number three, Nick, I think you're really going to like this because I think this ties into the whole roll call room 
theory or, or idea here. There's going to be a point when you feel like you're at the end of your rope. Talk to somebody. You don't always have to be the tough one. Yeah. Um, and I, I will tell you this. I think when you're on a group of, of uh, people and they're senior people, I think it's one of your obligations as a senior person on the group to be vulnerable with your group. Absolutely. After a scene and you see a newer officer, um, I think it's important for you to send them a message or a text message and be like, hey, let's meet over at Popeye's. Um, for a couple of minutes and then be like, listen, I know what you just saw had to have been tough. It's tough for me. I've been on the job X amount of years. If you need somebody to talk to, talk to me. Um, so I agree 1000% with that one. As we, well. um, I'm, I'm going to say this. We don't always get it right, but one of the things we do in South Carolina, I think we are on point is we have a group called South Carolina Law Enforcement Assistant. Uh, plan and we do it we do a lot of post-critical incident debriefs mm-hmm. um, I got involved with it because I I've, I think I said this to you on the phone I lost more friends to suicide mm-hmm. than I have two line of duty deaths um, I actually went to a debrief and a seminar last year we had a uh, pretty wild bank robber shootout car chase this was uh, August of last year, and I'm up uh, hitting the suspect car, which in Georgia happens like three times a day. Jeez. <laughs> not so much over here. Um, We're not allowed to do it. Yeah, yeah. Ours is buried very deep in our pursuit policy, says with uh, supervisor's permission, hmm. and uh, we have supervisors fighting to get on the radio, but like, yeah, put them in the ditch. Um, <laughs> Jesus. The first time I asked, like three supervisors keyed up, I kind of pet them. And they all walked over each other. I had repeated again. I was kind of like, yeah, she has to call me call her. Yes. So, so long of the short, hmm. long of the short, we catch these three bad guys. And I'd been through it enough. I knew there was going to be, you know, the post adrenaline dump mm-hmm. and then the fatigue that comes with it and all the stuff that goes with it. And I remember we're out in the country, they're starting the city, and we're out in the countryside. And I thought, I need to call my wife and let her know what's going on, that I'm okay, because this is going to be on the news, mm-hmm. and I don't want her getting secondhand information. So I go to call her, and it goes straight to her voicemail. I was like, that's odd. Did a couple other times. I call her office. They're like, she's not in the office. Uh, brand, brand new receptionist. I feel forward to this day. Because I called back after she transferred me to her desk. I couldn't get her. She was like, is this an emergency? I was like, yeah, it kind of is. Mm-hmm. And she got me in touch with uh, one of her girlfriends. Along with the short, I'm pulling back in my office, do all the paperwork from, from the shenanigans. And uh, she calls me. She's like, what's going on that you're blowing up my phone? Mm-hmm. And I explained to her. And uh, she was, are you okay? I got the scratch on my arm where I tried to grab one of the guys going real fast. She goes, you don't need any MS or anything like that? I was like, no. She says, rub some dirt on it and get back in the game. Now, my wife's like, my, <laughs> my wife's my biggest ego checker there is on the planet. This one, I think, you know, like I'm about to walk on water. Yeah. She punches me in the dirt. That's hilarious. Um, but there was this one underlying thing um, that, that bothered me. She's like, I... I don't know why you can't get a hold of me. There's no missed calls and there's no text messages. So I, I go to my 
uh, phone service provider. And I'm like, hey, I can't, can't communicate with my wife. I communicate with everybody else in the free world, just not her. He says, call her. He says, she's got you blocked. And I was like, hmm, okay. We have our nine-year-old niece living with us. And she was using my wife's phone the night before and inadvertently did. Oh, no. Okay. So we got, we got all squared away. Um, had that pursuit. I had another one where a guy was ejected and then like a 15 minute pursuit with a stolen car mm-hmm. after that. So all within like a four week period. It just seemed like whatever I touched turned to a pursuit packet. He used a force report. So for about three months, I'm like, my game's broken. I can't find impaired drivers or anything like this. So I go to this post critical incident seminar and we're doing small group discussions. And I'm actually in this group with two of my buddies. One of them, I watched him put in the back of the ambulance after he got shot. Mm. Um, the other one is a captain with a state agency around here I respect a lot. Um, so, so we're talking about this. And I said, how'd that make you feel? And it just clicked. I was angry because I couldn't get a hold of my wife at my moment of need. Mm-hmm. I've been holding this for, I mean, I broke down in tears in front of guys and girls that I taught at the academy and other guys and girls I've worked with or whatever. But it, my, my point of the story is there's small things that you think are insignificant but affect your psyche or your mentality differently. So, mm-hmm. um, big fan of post-critical and debriefs and seminars. If you don't have them in your state where you guys are, I say guys, guys and girls, Hit us up. I'll put you to some people. We have some people. One of them is Kelly Hendricks, who I work with. I have somebody uh, mentioned her name on a Facebook post to you. She's the one who got me involved. In this. She's flat out phenomenal. So, and I will tell, I will tell you this about uh, debriefs. If you're waiting for formalized debriefs after a major critical scene uh, from your agency, step up. Step up and be that person. It doesn't have to be a formalized one. If you're a senior, you don't even have to be a senior member on your group. Uh, if you if you have an, um, a mobile computer and you can send out messages or send a group text message out and say, hey, listen, the next time we have a break in, in calls for service, everybody meet over at Popeye's and just turn around and laugh about it, joke about it, talk seriously, cry, hug, whatever you need to do to talk about that dead baby scene, the suicide scene, anything that it is, um, you're doing, you're doing a huge service to your group. So I just want to say that because I, because I, I developed a peer support training class and a lot of people were like, well, my agency doesn't formalize formally have one. You don't need a formalized program for you to do any of this stuff. You can do it informally. Um, so Dave, I agree with you. Uh, now, I'm going to jump on one more topic on this and I'll move on. Here, here's why we have a problem with suicide and mental health in our profession. If you and I work together, Nick, mm-hmm. and I jump a fence, I blow my knee out, a foot chase. What happens? We'll call medics. I'm going to yeah. triage. And I, I, and I get it fixed, right? If, if I tear an ACL or something like that, I go to a light duty assignment. Mm-hmm. Like I saw, you know, the desk take phone reports or whatever. And when my knees heal, I go back to the squad. Yeah. Everybody welcomes me with open arms. Hey, Cope, welcome back. You know, enjoy your vacation. Blah, 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 blah. 
if I'm having trouble coping with life, whether it's bad marriage, financial stress, the job, whatever, and I feel like I'm at the end of my rope, and I say, hey, I need to go talk to somebody about this. They'll put you on light duty and get you fixed. But when you come back, the rest of your squad like, you know, is, is Dave really good? Mm-hmm. It's that lack of trust. Yes. That holds us from seeking the help we need. Now, I'm at the twilight of my career. I got lost in two years. I'm not saying I'm retiring two years, but I can't retire two years. Mm-hmm. If you're less than you less than five years, it's your job to change your culture. Absolutely. 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 And I think that's what the stigma, I think that's one of the things that like Blue Help is working on, which is is that in our profession, man, you, you turn around and you say that you need some help or God forbid you tell you tell your work that you're under medication or something. They treat you like like you're ostracized. And then the next person is like, I just saw how they treated Nick. Fuck, I'm not going to tell anybody about what I'm going through. Um, and that's one of the things I enjoyed about this podcast was inside my former agency, it had sparked, you know, 50, 60 people to reach out to to me and my former co-host and say, hey, I listen to your show and, you know, I'm going to get help. I'm on medication and I feel good sure. now. Uh, so we broke the stigma inside of our agency, um, unfortunately, not from the upper echelon, but hey, you know, baby steps. Yeah, one day at a time. Yeah. Uh, three, four, and five all kind of tie each other in together. I said, uh, number four, it's okay to cry. Mm-hmm. Um, number five, don't be afraid to tell the people you care about that you love them. I tell my wife and family, I love you. I'd rather leave the house or get off the phone. I never know if it's the last, if it's the last words they're going to hear. Dave, do you have goodbye letters? No. Never done it? Nah. Um, you ever about it? I guess, yeah. I, I think it's one of those things that ties back to being Marines. I, I feel like the day that I write about that, that might be yep. bad juju. I'll tell you, you know, I wrote one for um, my family, and it was tough. It was tough to write those uh, with that in mind. And... um always kept them in my, in my bulletproof vest. Like I always kept them in my vest. And, uh, if you haven't thought about doing that, um, not you, Dave, but those that are listening to, to, um, you know, it sucks writing them. It really does. But you put everything in there, including your pin numbers. And then like a little note to your best friend, please clear my web browser history. (laughs) Please take my phone and destroy it. Yes. Phone could not be found. Yeah. Uh, so the bottom of the broad river. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least delete all pictures. Yeah. There you go. Uh, <laughs> number six. It doesn't matter how big you are, the size of your gun, or what kind of vehicle you drive. It's the size of your heart that matters. Mm. I think we get too hung up on, yeah, I work for a small department, which the majority of our state is small departments. Mm-hmm. Um, or everybody jokes around like, hey, I got a new car. I keep it still stuck in the old car. I joke around to so the sheriff, give me a bread truck on the mobile down like, and I'll go out and make cases. Yep. You know, it's, it's internal that matters. Number seven, as soon as you think you're a big deal, the world will prove you wrong. Mm-hmm. Learn to be humble. I found out this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um... I think everybody needs a case of humble pie every once in a while. Um, 10 days suspension without pay at humble me real quick. 
Mm, see, that's that's a, that's a humbling experience for me. It was when I left my agency and I came back, and I went from a sergeant back down to an officer. That's a humbling experience because luckily I wasn't a dickhead when I was a sergeant. I treated my people very, very well. But what was humbling was is because now the people who you were subordinates are now supervisors to you. Yeah, and a lot of them were fucking. A lot of them, a lot of them were not very kind. And uh, uh, there were many, many occasions when I turned around. Uh, maybe that's the reason why I don't work for that agency anymore. But uh, every once in every once in a while, I would say to them, "You need to be knocked down a couple of pegs and eat some humble pie, like I did, because you will realize that um, the things you're stepping on are the ones that are actually going to elevate your career." Because the boots on the ground really are what make you look really good as a supervisor and a commander. Um, they're doing all the freaking work out there, and you know, have the, they have the power to make or break you. When I was a supervisor, I was truly blessed. Every group that I had were top performers. You know, was there a donut here and there? You know, somebody that just did the bare minimum? Yeah, that's everywhere you go. But I was truly blessed where I didn't have problem children. You know, like what you know have. what those, those who are high activity people, yeah, are usually willing to do the non sexy stuff. Correct. We had a guy years ago when I was younger, all my squads. He's like, "I'll check all the property. I'll take all the BS calls. You guys get to go work." Mm-hmm. Yep. We were happy. He was happy as long as he got there. Break. Yep. We're both happy. We had a guy, we had a guy on our group, unfortunately he had, uh, he passed away, but, um, he, uh, he loved taking, um, uh, mental, mental detention orders. And those were sitting at the hospital for four to eight hours, four to eight hours waiting for the magistrate to issue, um, you know, the detention order to take them to the mental hospital and no, no cop wants to sit up. At the freaking hospital, professional babysitter. Oh my god! And then, and then the hospital that we had in our juris, jur, that we have in our jurisdiction or my former jurisdiction gets lousy cell service, so you can't even sit in there and play on your phone or watch Netflix or anything. Not like watching Netflix is you should be doing that anyway. But I'm just saying hypothetically, yeah. you can't you can't social media, you can't do anything. So you're literally staring at the wall. And this guy, not a ball of flames. The guy's not going to write tickets. The guy's not going to turn around and get into cars and do drug arrests, but he would chime up. He would take the mental detention order and free up the other officers to go do what they had to do. So I agree with you. Um, you're going to meet negative people in this profession. Don't let them influence you. A great supervisor wants to me you control your own morale. Isn't that the truth? And what I mean by that is we all get upset. Um, I'll tell you today, I work for one of the best law enforcement agencies in our country, bar nine. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that for the last four years. Are there days that I get upset? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I put a cap on it. You know, if something happens, I'm not happy with it. I'm going to be upset until 3 p.m. tomorrow. And I'm going to let it ride. Yeah. And I'm going to go back to doing what I do. Um, what I mean is there, there are those guys or girls I, I call it the golden brick syndrome mm-hmm. there are cops that you work with that you can give them a golden brick and they buy something to complain about you know it's too heavy I gotta take it all the way to Atlanta to get it cashed in they won't give me 20 ah, you know. 
<laughs> something like that. There's some people you can never make happy. Yeah. Understand those and don't become that. Um, yeah, I agree with that uh, so, so much. And you can identify those people right away when you're in field training. What we do makes a difference. Yes. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes we step back and look at the picture. What we do makes a difference. And number 10, I kind of touched on this in the last time we talked. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. I learned more from mistakes and fear than success and victories. It's not how many times you get knocked down as long as you keep getting back up. Amen to that. Those are Dave's top 10 thoughts or tips for young law enforcement officers. Dave, I love it. Um, I think that's awesome. Uh, those of you that want to add to that list when this episode comes out, be sure to uh, be sure to send me an email at nick at rollcallroom.com or reach out to Dave. Um, Dave, we're going to take our first break, and then we're going to come Absolutely. back, and then we'll get into your uh, your next uh, <laughs> top 10 list, man. Hold on. All right, folks, we're going to take our first break, and we'll be right back. Do you want to help the Roll Call Room podcast keep going? Of course you do. Join Patreon and pledge to the show each month. Tiers start at $5 and you can get some pretty cool shit with it, including swag and access to listen to episode clips early. So put that Starbucks coffee down and help my dad keep the show going. Don't be a fucking Steve. Go to rollcallroom.com to pledge today. Folks, we are back from break. Thank you for coming back from uh, from break. Uh, if you're just tuning in, which doesn't make any sense, because why would you start in the middle of an episode? Um, we, we are with Dave Copenhaver. Um, he just got done with his top ten list um, for newer officers, and if it and I would dare to say, not even newer officers, some of the older, crusty officers needed to be reminded of some of this stuff. Because uh, I think you kind of lose focus of what you're doing the job for. Uh, so, Dave, thanks. Um, I know it's going to be a uh, smash hit when we release it. So you have another top ten list. This is this like is, Dave Letterman. Yeah. For the kids that don't know who Dave Letterman <laughs> is, he used to have a uh, late-night show. He used to be, compete with Jay Leno. And those of you that are too young to know who Jay Leno is, it's before Jimmy Fallon. Okay. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll take a pause. <laughs> You know, you know that they are. They're sitting on their phones and their cruisers and they're like, "Who the fuck is Letterman?" No kidding, right? Then they're gonna watch a clip of him and be like, "This guy's not even funny." I, I used to say to the younger cops that, uh, "Hey, you just can't snatch somebody out of a vent window." And they look at me like, "I'm. What are you talking about?" And I was like, "Okay, back in the seventies, eighties, and nineties, there's like a little window, yeah, on the door. I said, you just can't yank somebody out." Of it. I got I got a question for you, Dave. When you pull up next to a car and you tell them to roll down their window, what motion do you make? <laughs> In a circle like this. There you go. The fucking kids have no idea what the fuck that's about. They're like, because I've done it with my kids in the back seat. I've pulled up next to somebody to say hello. Wink, wink. And 
I make that motion, that circle motion, and my kids are like, what the fuck does that mean? And I go, because you can't do this. You can't. This this doesn't make any sense. Push button down. These kids are spoiled, man. Like rotary phones. There's a video on YouTube where they put a rotary phone in front of a millennial and they couldn't figure out how to freaking work it. Gosh, I'm I know. Do you remember? Do you remember what it was like to like? I remember living in New York City and having to dial 911 with a rotary phone and it was an emergency. It took me longer to get those numbers all the way around yeah. than for the police to arrive. That's right. Fuck you, rotary phones. <laughs> all right. We just aged ourselves. No joke. I'll, I'll work with some men and women, but I'm old enough to be their dad. Yeah, yeah. I had the same thing, my friend. Same thing. Especially when, when you turn around and you say when you started in law enforcement. And the, the next thing that comes out of their mouth is, I wasn't even born then. That, yeah. That hurts the heart. Shut your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Or or you have boots that are older than them. Yeah. I'm Jerry Brown. I got t-shirts with more time in service than you do. That's right. That's, that's fucking, that's so fucking, my duty bag is older than you. <clears throat> All right, Dave, I've delayed you long enough. No worries, man. All right, Dave's top 10 tips or thoughts for DUI and or other specialized enforcement. Mm-hmm. All right, number one, you need to find an environment conducive to your goal. If you're working for an eight-man department and you want to go work on a SWAT team, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Just saying. Yeah. Um, if, I'm, I'm not an advocate. I'm not saying, hey, jump ship and go run somewhere else. But you got you got to be true to yourself. Be true to your department. If your department's not bigger than DUI enforcement or impaired driving enforcement, and the next door one is, maybe you need to go work over there because that's what you want to do. That's what's going to make you happy. Because otherwise, you're going to look out the window and go, it's a nice day. I wish I could go play outside. Yep. Yep. Uh, and if you're thinking about leaving the department, it's it's not all about money. Mm-hmm. Yeah if if you want, if you want to make a lot of money, this is not the profession to get into. Not even in the slightest. But I have a running joke. You know, it goes back to Marine Four days. USMC, you signed the mother loving contract. You know what you <laughs> got into. You know, yeah. if, if you thought you were going to get in this game and become, you know, a multi millionaire. Yeah. Wrong answer. Yeah, and, and and there's always there's always overtime and there's always details and stuff. But I will tell you, when you leave this profession, or if it happens to run out for you um, quicker than you want it to, and your livelihood is dependent on overtime and um, special details off duty, you got a problem. You got a big problem. I mean, I ain't gonna starve anytime soon. Trust me, looking. I haven't missed a meal in a while, but. <laughs> You know, I don't. I don't think I'm gonna retire to Key West or anything either. Yeah, yeah. I'm not buying a second vacation home or anything. So just, just gotta find an environment that's conducive to your goals. It might be another squad within your department, or a different region within your department, or maybe another different, different department. But if if you want to go out hunt drunks, dope, stolen cars, whatever, 
and it's not where you're at now or doesn't have the potential to be where you're at now, maybe you need to look somewhere else. Yeah, plan ahead. Um, Dave's number two tip, know your why. All right, we talked about this in the last episode. My why changed over the last 23 years. You know, going from, hey, I want to get off the main gate at MCU and sit down with my feet hurt jungle boots to I liked arresting people and I was in target risk environment. And then, hey, maybe I got a little better at this and I could teach some people. And then the concept of knocking on doors mm-hmm. just wasn't that attractive. Um, now, I will say this. During the last 23 years, it's always been fun arresting impaired drivers to me. Yes. I love it as much on May 11th, 2020, as I did 4th of July weekend in 1997. Jeez. I still love the challenge. <laughs> I, uh, my, my thing has always been, and I've always, whenever I field train new officers, I always feel like when you get that DUI off the street, you are literally stopping a mobile bullet. You are stopping collateral damage that Absolutely. has a ripple effect. Because until you've worked a DUI fatality accident, it's it's hard to understand what they do to the, what they do to other people. And when I say they, I mean people that are impaired. Because, and Dave, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Murphy's law is they will always hit somebody and kill them, but they will remain alive. Absolutely, and that's the worst. It's that's like the worst. Oh, it's 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 the I worst. Thing. You just, and it's the worst thing in the world because I've worked some fatality accidents where you roll up and there's kids involved, and they're just they were innocent. They were innocent people. They were just driving from home from church or whatever they were doing, and they were hit by this person. And maybe they passed two or three officers. I'm not saying that this happened, but I'm saying maybe they passed two or three officers that weren't into DUI enforcement. And their thought process was, I don't want to deal with that shit. I don't want to deal with that shit. So for me, I I mean, I'm sure you're the same way. For me, everyone that I got off the street and when they would start like when they would start not going ballistic, but kind of like, I can't believe you're doing this to me in the back of my you're ruining my life. Yes. I can't just ride home. I speech I would give them all the time. I would say tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up and you're going to thank me for saving your life. And then they, they would be like, yeah, you should, man. Cause I, I would, definitely I, steal that. I would literally, I would, I would open up the, the, the partition behind me and I'd slide it back and I'd go, Mr. Smith or Mrs. Smith. I know you're pissed off right now and you're having a real bad day, but tomorrow morning when you wake up, you're going to thank me for saving your life. And my name will be at the bottom of the warrant. And then that's how I would always do it. I would always say it because I wasn't only just saving the next person that they're going to hit or kill, but I saved their life too. I mean, plus it's the thrill of the hunt. It's, it's you confirming what your driving behavior and your skill set identified without even making contact with them. That's kind of what I always enjoyed. I would o- always like, I would always turn around and go, they're either on their cell phone or or they're drunk. And then I would wait for that second driving behavior and I would be like, boom, drunk, light them up. Yep. And then like you said in the first one, if you think you're going to get a DUI every single traffic stop that you make, it's a numbers game. It's, it's you have to stop people to to interact with them to hone your skill in. Absolutely. Oh, I digress. I'm sorry, Dave. I want no, to... no worries. 
Number three, form a relationship with your prosecutors. Mm. Oh my God. Yeah. I was kind of lucky. I had a, one of our prosecutors riding with me last Tuesday night and he posted a picture of me and my buddy Philip on, on Facebook. And some of my law enforcement friends throughout the state were like, good luck getting one of ours in the car. And I was like, well, have you asked? And I'm going to tell this story real quick. Um, I had about six, six or seven years in the game. And I had a very negative attitude towards law or prosecutors, attorneys in general. Um, I thought they were just trying to make me look bad. And the prosecutors were going to hang out for a year or two and they're going to go private practice and make a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. And I went to a conference in Mobile, Alabama, February of 06. I met a woman named Kimberly Overton. And she's now the chief resource prosecutor for North Carolina. At the time, she was the traffic resource prosecutor in North Carolina. I talked to her for five minutes, and we exchanged business cards. And in that five minutes, I knew she was as passionate about prosecuting and cases as I was about me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, if there's one, there's got to be more. Mm-hmm. And we developed a great friendship over the last 14 years. Um, she came down to South Carolina to... Uh, teach with me. I taught with her in North Carolina. Um, she's talked me off the ledge, so to speak, and vice versa. I say that, you know, I'm like, this sucks. I'm going to the dark side. I'm going to make some real money. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> we all have those moments. She, she just knows, or I just knew for her, her mind. We're just upset. We just need to turn Right. Um, but I learned so much from her. There's things like just one of the things that I teach when I teach cops and, and prosecutors. I said, all right, law enforcement, how many of you have prosecutors come to you 15 minutes before trial and go, tell me everything you know about this case career? <laughs> yeah. Because there's been no pre-trial meeting or anything like that. So like, yeah, that happens to me all the time. So cool. Whose fault's that? Mm-hmm. And the room gets silent because when I say, hey, how many times has this happened? The prosecutors look at me like they're at me, you know, or slice my tires out in the heart or something like that. My phone works two ways. There's, we call it the solicitor's office or the assistant district attorney's office or the state's attorney's office, whatever you call it, wherever you are. And I was saying, hey, they got to eat too. Mm-hmm. How many times I've had lunch with with uh, our prosecutor, like, hey, I'm come pick you up. We're going to go to lunch. I'm going to talk to you about a case. Or it might be, hey, this, I'm going to pick you up and go to lunch. We'll talk about the Atlanta Braves or the, you know, build those parks. Tigers or whoever. Yeah. Just so we open up that dialogue. Um, and then when, when I came here, I was fortunate enough that I've had a series of prosecutors from um, Josh and Carlin, who are now in private practice. They're, they were both were in one of us. And then Peter, those three, I'll be, I'll be teaching. My course with, and now we got two more brand new ones. I just keep the process going. Yeah. Um, so you got to do that if you want to be successful. If you don't think defense attorneys aren't talking to clients, no matter what you do, whether it's drunk, drugs, drugs, stolen cars, fugitives, they're talking to somebody. So we need to be communicating. Also. Yeah, and if you can't remember the small fine details, 
your defendant can. Absolutely. Because you think about this way, they're a case in all your cases. This is probably the biggest event of their life. Yep. Yep. So, uh, number four, don't make enemies with defense attorneys unless absolutely necessary. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote that down and I was like, you know what? I don't go out there and I don't cheese with them. Um, we have a defense bar around here that is very respectful. Um, I tried to sandbag one of them. I was like, I'm kind of new at this. He's like, hey, but if you are nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I just come back to the sheriff's department of the academy after about six months. I've known the street about six months. I was like, I'm kind of new at this. He's like, no, you're not nice. <laughs> but the flip side of that, I had a defense attorney try to, for lack of better words, try to punk me out. Mm-hmm. I had one that was smart. I want to say it was like a 3-3 blood alcohol. Holy shit. And remember I talked about we have a very strict video recording statute. Um, one of my videos got lost in a cloud over London. It happened to be one of those cases. And I was like, look here, dude. I got a video hit, dude. It would work something out, like reckless driving or something like that. He goes, I'll just flat out ask for a dismissal. Okay. Cool. You do that. And then from now on, every time my name comes across, you just set it for trial. I said, because I'm not afraid to lose. I pointed to our prosecutor. I said, she's a warrior in heels. She ain't afraid to lose either. And I said, I will light you up every chance I get. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And they're about four or five respected defense attorneys standing about four feet away from me. And they just turned around and kind of chuckled. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not the way to go about this. It's yeah. Yeah. Know. I mean, that's how I had to put my foot down. Let them know what time it was. But majority of the defense attorneys around here, well, I mean, don't make enemies. If you get a discovery motion or something like that or something, you need to send to them. Be professional and send it to them. Right. I remember when I was younger, I was seeking. I was kind of a squad room and look at their cubbyhole box. Mm-hmm. It would be a phone call message for a defense attorney. Like, I'm not calling him back. I may or may not have done that in the other days, too. Same. That's not, that's not being a professional. No. Um, or discovery motion on there, and you're like, I'll get to that when I get to it. Yeah. Um, so who knows? One day, you may need some legal help. Yes. I'm not saying you did anything wrong. One of, I'll just say, one of our top. Defense attorneys in the area does a lot of pro bono or officer shooting hmm. work too here. So hmm. you're screwing you it up. I think I don't need them. Well, you're screwing it up for the next person too. Cause yeah, that, that, that attorney might, may no longer want to represent law enforcement after seeing you know, that kind of behavior. Uh, okay. Number five, if you want to be great, you have to donate your own time and money. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I'm not saying that you got to go out and spend thousands of dollars, especially if you're new, you probably don't have thousands of dollars. It might be something as simple as buying a book, mm-hmm. buying a membership to know, a podcast or something like that, something that you can learn from. Um, yep. When I say your own time, go find somebody who's great at what you want to do. There's finding dope, locking up a pair of drivers. I had a guy that I work with, one of the canine guys. If there's a stolen car in our county, he finds it. Hmm. I promise you that. He's like a magnet stolen car. You want to go find a 
go run with him. Right. I'll show you how to do it. Do it on your day off. Yeah. I did a lot of that. As a young officer, I'd find guys and girls who are great at what I wanted to do at bigger departments. And I would go ride with them. Yeah, and I, and I'll touch on spending, you know, spending your money. When when Dave's talking about that, especially now with the technology era that's out there, there are a lot of really good apps out there like drug apps yeah. uh, that you have to buy one time for a dollar ninety nine. We're not talking about breaking the bank here, folks. Um, not at all. There's there's great drug apps out there. There's DUI apps out there, and you have to pay to buy them. You have it forever. Like the drug app that I used to use on the street, I think I paid $1.99 one time. And then what you do is you take a picture of the pill or whatever it is, and it identifies it for you. So if you want to save time in the long run, these are the investments that you need to make. Um, and also- That's the, what you're doing, exactly. You're investing in your career. Correct. Correct. And, and, and to turn around and sit there and say, well, the department should supply that for me, the the be realistic. The department is not going to supply every little toy that you want. And Nick, let me ask you this. How many new guys or how many officers do you know that will go out and buy their own long gun or something like that? If offered? Yeah. If they're like, you can purchase your own AR to put in the trunk of your car. Almost 99.9% of them would do At the it. drop of a dime. The drop of a dime. Hey. A yeah. But hey, um, the idea you paying three hundred dollars to go to a conference or something like that's mind blowing because your department shouldn't. Training should be their responsibility. That would be the excuse. Training should be, and I will tell you something. It's funny that you say that, Dave, because I've spent a lot of my own money going to conferences and going to classes. Um, like when my when I would put a training order in for my for my department, I would be like, "Hey, listen, I want to go to this drug trafficking class," and they'd go, "Denied," and I'd go, "Okay." Now I'm not asking for you to pay for the class. All I'm asking for you for, to do is to give me educational leave for the three days to go to the class. And, and I take the car to get. I, you know what? Even Dave, I'll even take my own my own personal vehicle. I'll buy my own gas. I just need you to give me three days off for me to go there on educational leave. Now, if staffing is an issue, I'll understand that you can't give me the three days off. But those are the last time. you have to have you have to make those sacrifices. Yeah. Um, last two DUI conferences I went in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. You know, I sent a memo to the sheriff via the chain of command. I said, "Hey, can I go to this conference? Mm -hmm. I'm going to pay for it. Um, can I do it on company time and take the car? Mm -hmm. Go forth and proceed, young man. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I want to. Hey, this how it's going to benefit us. How it's going to benefit me." You nailed it. And it's going it's to cost you a tank of gas. Yep. A couple of tanks of gas. You nailed it because it's going to pay dividends later on. And that's what I think supervisors and commanders that are listening to this, this show is you should also be seeking out training for your people. If you see that Dave is Absolutely. out there busting his ass and he gets a lot of DUIs, don't wait for Dave to come to you to go to the DUI conference or go to an FST refresher. Turn around, shoot him a, a shoot him an email, and say, "Hey, listen, Dave, I was on um I was on the state's website, and I found this training that I think you might be interested in. Tell me if you want to go. I've already blocked you out in the calendar." So be a good leader. Be a good leader. Saturday night, I came up empty as far as hunting drunks, but one of our young motivators, one of our regents, he's like, "This is what I want to do. I want to get good at this." I was mm -hmm. like, 
man, I felt like a proud dad. <laughs> I, I called his toe sheet for him. And afterwards, he gave me a phone call. And uh, he said, hey, do you have a dress game summer? And I said, sure. I came over, downloaded it. And I drove off. And I thought, you know, there, this going to sound really good. I said, but there was some information in that podcast. I had two beers on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So I ripped it off YouTube. And I said, listen to this when you get some free time. He was like, man, you're the greatest. This ties into my other point here. Find a mentor. Mentor veterans. You need to mentor young officers. Yes. So, I think that's to me, it was, huge. It was, it was almost more fun watching him get excited about one of his first maybe five or ten DUI arrests. Yes. And he said, this is, this is what I want to do. He said, the squad called me the resident. I was like, that's okay. They did it to me when I was young, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, Dave, you said you got two years left, not saying that you are going to retire in two years. But when you when you hang your gun belt up and you can say that you have put 15, whatever it is, 15, 20 really good officers that do really, really good DUI enforcement. That's something to, that's that's something to be proud of. That's your legacy that you're stamping into the agency or the profession, you know, and um yeah. I have to agree with you with that is, is that veterans that are listening to this, you leaving with all of those skill sets and not passing it on to the next generation of officers, because don't cross off the millennials that they don't want to learn this stuff. Don't cross them off that they're, they're all going to leave after two years. I think you need to, you need to give them the benefit of the doubt. And some of them, you know, years zero to five really don't know what they want to do. They don't know what their specialty is. You know what, you know what they're trying to do, zero to five? They're just not screw up. Exactly. And that's probably why they're not doing a lot of DUI enforcements, because there's a lot of moving parts to DUIs. Yeah. Like you said in one of your in your list, don't be afraid to fail. Because the only way you're going to get good at doing DUIs and DUI um, prosecutions is you got to fail. And you got to fail big. You have to make some mistakes. Yeah, you're going to have to fail big. I mean, there's nothing like sitting on a, on a witness stand and being cross-examined. And now and, you're just getting hammered. Oh, my God. With no no jelly whatsoever, just cramming it up there. And you oh. get off that stand and you walk you walk out to your cruiser and you get in the cruiser and it feels like somebody kicked you in your nuts. And you're like, fuck, that sucked. And then you know what you do? You go out there that same night and you go get another one. But in the back of your head, you go... I need to make sure that I read implied consent or I have to make sure because I am not going to sit on the stand and I'm not going to get raked over the cold again. And it's a training scar in your head, but it's a good training scar because you'll never do that again. I'm going to touch on a couple of things here real quick, Nick. Um, I think the millennial generation gets a bad rap. Yeah. Just because they learn and think differently than I do doesn't mean that we should throw the baby out of the bath. Exactly. Um, Dave Ramsey had a great video on YouTube talking about millennials. It's millennials are easy to hire because you know what you get right out the gate yep. in the interview. They're like, hey, I want to be a part of something great. And I know my wife, and it may only be three to five years, department, but at least you know I'm probably here. Right. They're like, hey, I want to work for an office in Africa. Sorry, we don't have one. Yeah, they're they're pretty simple and stuff like that. Um, I will say one of the downsides is 
like I said, being on force is a process, and you're not going to get good at it in three to five days. Right. It's, it's over a period. had one deputy, she called me, or called me or sent me a text message, I can't remember, said, hey, I, I stopped one last night. I said, great, you make a case? She's like, no, I was afraid of dudes. I just locked him up for, like, open container and drugs and license. And that, that induced a Facebook rant. Yeah. And I was like, you, you got to be able to work. You gotta be one to make some mistakes. Yeah. I didn't wake up one day and just go, I'm kind of good at this. I took some beatings in the nineties. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, in the late two thousand. So don't, don't be afraid to do that. Um, no, I agree with you. That's a good one, Dave. We're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna finish up with your list and then we'll uh, we'll wrap this bad boy up. All right, folks, uh, stay tuned and we'll be right back after this break. Law enforcement officers are dying at an alarming rate, not at the hands of criminals, but at their own hands, leaving loved ones to pick up the pieces, leaving our brothers and sisters lost, leaving them praying for answers, leaving them praying for someone to do something. We are hurting. We are struggling. We are demanding answers and change. We are the public's guardians and protectors. Now, for the first time, someone is speaking up. From the creators of the Roll Call Room podcast comes peer support training for law enforcement. This training will define our legacy as a profession and change the stigma about mental health in law enforcement. This training will hopefully stop the epidemic of suicides in our profession. folks we are back from break thanks for tuning back in with us still with us we have dave copenhaver he is with us talking about duis and uh he's got his top 10 list uh which we are uh we are having some good discussions uh so dave hit us with the next one bud all right here's my next one i think we kind of talked about this in the first episode and this seemed to get some positive results um, my buddy josh who's a georgia state trooper be likable. Mm. Um, you don't have to be robotic. One of the f- best law enforcement instructors I've ever met, a guy named Kirk Anthony, he's a trooper in North Carolina, teaches a class called Surviving the First Three Seconds, the officer survival class. And one of the big things I pulled away from his class is the way he introduces himself to motors when he stops him. You know, normally it's like, hey, I'm deputy officer, trooper, blah, 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 blah. He doesn't do that. Neither do I anymore. If I stop you on the side of I-20 out here. Oh, hi, my name is Dave Copenhaver. I'm a deputy with Richmond County. The reason why I stopped you is I measure speed with the right direct 84 miles per hour as opposed to 60 times. Are you okay? You're like, why would you do that? This does, this does several things. By throwing, 
okay, first off, I'll say this from my department, nobody cares about anybody's ranking except for the man who gets elected every four years ranking. Yeah. <laughs> nobody cares about it. And I'm yeah. not him. Yeah. So nobody cares about that. Second, when I introduce myself by my first name, it makes me more personal. Absolutely. You will watch your complaints plummet. From an officer's safety standpoint, it makes you as a real human being. Yep. So if this this guy's or girl is looking at causing you ill will, maybe they pause for a second and think, hey, maybe this guy has some friends and family, stuff like that. I mean, that that actually came out of the, the interview top colors. Mm-hmm. If you think about this, 90% of the time, we just lose somebody's way of freedom. I mean, it's the choices they make, but you know, I don't think they're a true psychopaths like uh, Charles Manson or something like that. So maybe if I could have them pause for a second, maybe I get our hand. Now, I don't, I don't like playing the whole, do you know why I stopped you? Let me tell you why I stopped you. And then, are you okay? Or is everything okay? You're allowed them to talk. You know, hey, if they're speeding up, is everything okay? Yeah, I'm sorry. I just run late for work. I was trying to rush. Yeah, there's an admission. Um, or it could be a plethora of other things. I stopped this one guy. He, he was hauling a mail. It was like 103 in a 60 zone or something like that. I said, is everything okay? He says, um, I'm on the way to the hospital. My wife has cancer. I said, I'm going to ask you a question. I mean, someone has a question. I said, you're going to live in the next 15 minutes. He looks at me and says, I don't know. Oof. I just told by the way he said it. Uh, handed back his license registration. I said, have a safe day. Please slow down there. And I'll be praying for you. And he drove off. I thought to myself, if he's willing to tell that lie, I'm a Christian man. God will take care of him later. Yeah, yeah, that'll sort itself out later on. Yeah. But I don't want to be that guy who's right ticket and his wife dies. And he was on the way because those last times I'm going to see her. Oh, you know, stuff like that. That's chilling, man. Yeah. Um, because people, uh, it, it sounds like you care. Yeah. Even if you don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes you a little bit vulnerable, which then they open up to you about. Yeah. And lots of other shit. The police report, which is yeah. your intention right from the beginning, wasn't an enforcement thing. It was an actual uh, check on the welfare. Yeah. It's great wordplay. So, Articulation. Yeah. Take out that, you know, it goes back to my ability to communicate better much earlier. I, I don't think it has anything to do with not being a professional. I can introduce myself to my person to be professional. I'm not, I'm not saying, like, you know, hey, Bo. <laughs> 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 Every man with a child can around here, Bo. Um, you know, sometimes I'll do that. I'll act like the dumb southerner just pull the wool over somebody's eyes. Yeah. You know, um, Get you what you need. Yeah. So be likable. Doesn't mean like you take off your safety and throw it out the window. Yeah. You, yeah. You you can be likable and still be tactical. So, there's that one. Um, make sure you have your family support. Yes. I talked about this in one of the earlier episodes. My, my wife probably the one who keeps my ego in check more so than anybody else on this planet. She's also my number one cheerleader. Um, awesome. I don't have a whole lot of hobbies. Unfortunately, that I got a slew of overtime that I can work every year. So Phil and I will get on rampages like every Friday and Saturday night. Like, 
I'll work seven to three thirty, come home, have dinner with her, change, go back out from another like seven to three at night or eight to four at night. And she knows I don't have any hobbies other than like cutting the grass. I like to cut the grass in the house. Um, <laughs> That's your hobby. I like cutting the grass, man. <laughs> put, put some music on the earbuds, man. And, what I do, man. Do you do you like some time? Uh, you know, go for a run, go to the gym or something like that. I don't go play golf or anything like that. Uh, me neither. Um, I like catching bad guys. Still like catching bad guys. Yeah, and you. I, like, I probably like it more now. I did in the younger days. I understand the process a lot better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that in uh, season in uh, first episode, which was is if I knew now what I knew then, or if I knew then what I know now, I'd crush it. Man, I would be crushing it. I would be getting drugs and guns off the street way more than what I was back in the day, um, because it's that killing with kindness. And there were a lot of people on the DUI Facebook page that that commented about that about the episode, which was catching a lot of bees with honey. And uh, so, so true. Years ago, I, I'd been on the street about six months. And I was going out there as soon as shift started, and I was stopping everything and moved. Mm-hmm. I'd stop like two and three, four, five cars an hour. And my sergeant would sit in the office and do some paperwork and eat dinner and call his wife or do whatever sergeants do. Leave the office, I hear him check 10 8 from the office, and he'd stop one or two cars and make an arrest. I'm like, how do you do that? Just know what I'm looking at. Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. skill, man. It really is a skill. Um, and you got to stop cars to 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 get into something. You have to stop cars. I mean, you can't sit in a parking lot all freaking night. Nobody's gonna come knock on no the no. door of the police department. And say, Please arrest me. Plus, I you know I would hone my skill with getting consent to search vehicles on minivans full of a soccer mom and her kids. And absolutely. I would just go up there and practice my speech. You know, I'd be like, hey, this is Officer so-and-so. Um, you know, the reason why I pulled you over is this. Uh, do you have any objection with me searching your vehicle? And then they would turn around and go, no, I don't have any objection. And I would go, okay, I'll be right back. That doesn't mean I would go search it. I was just perfecting the way that I would deliver my speech to get consent. Because when I first started in this job, it was more of like, you have anything in this car that I need to know about? Can I search to check and make sure? And of course, any normal human being is going to be like, get the fuck out of here. Like, I'm not going to uh, let you search my car. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on a little side bar here. It drives me nuts when cops say, is there anything in the car I need to know about? I have yeah. two kilos of cocaine. You definitely don't need to know about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've never That's had to turn around and go, yeah, there's some stuff in here you don't want to know about. Like, yeah. But you got. Uh, I don't want you to know about. Yeah, but the thing is, is you got to ask if you can search the vehicle. Like you've got to work that into your script somehow, and it doesn't have to be right away. Um, you know, in Virginia, we have a lot of funky laws about like when you're being detained and when you're not being detained. And, you know, all these nuances and stuff. And uh, we don't have by we my jurisdiction that I work for. We don't have body cameras, so. You know, you don't have any way of later on saying, hey, I gave him back his ID before I asked if I can if I can have consent to search the vehicle. So you need to be very clear in your reports where you were like, hey, listen, Dave, you're free to go right now. Just so you know, you understand that you're free to go. Yes, I understand. You have any objection with me searching your vehicle and in your report, put in there all that stuff. I, As a sergeant, I have reviewed many, many reports 
where I would call up the officer and go, hey, how'd you get consent to get in the vehicle? Well, I asked him this, this, and this. It's not in your report. Well, I mean, I, I'll i remember for court. Mm, no, you won't. No, you won't. If it's not in the report, it didn't happen. Sorry, I didn't mean to get into a tangent, but just yeah. I was saying, well, part of my tangent, Phillip's like, you need to mention this. This is probably like one of my biggest pet peeves that cops do. They stop a car and they're like, it's a blue in color. Mm-hmm. Dot, dot, dot. Blue's only a color, guys and girls. Always will be. Always was. Just say blue. <laughs> Just say blue. blue in color. <laughs> oh, that's fucking hysterical. Just blue. Blue. Man, I, like, I'll send out like a corporate wide MDT message. Blue is only a color. Stop. And I think some people do just to. We may have to put that into your second episode title. Uh, blue and color. Blue is blue is only a color. Blue is only a color. It's not a shape, size, whatever. <laughs> so back when I was getting to make sure you're coming before. My wife is smart enough for both of us, actually. Um, they usually are. Yeah, she she knows how to phrase it when she says she doesn't say. Hey, you're too busy working on spending time with us. So just looking to go. You plan on working all this weekend? Yeah. Read between the lines, my friend. I guess maybe I got smart enough. I'm like, hey, Phil, I think we need to uh, cut some grass and grow some stuff out back with the wives or something. <laughs> so um, make sure you have your family support. Amen to that. My last two kind of are going to sound like they are. Uh, Contradict each other, but we'll go with it. It's police work. Don't press. Mm. I find that when I have this happens to me, even now, I think I need to find a drunk on a Friday night around here. And I'll press and I'm like, why am I not finding one? And it feels like sometimes like I get too picky. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking for the perfect car to stop or so on and so The nights that I do really well, I'm, like, eh, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to throw some music on. I'm going to get the car detailed and fill up tank gas. And I'm going to go let it rip. I'm going to stop some cars. I'm not going to be tired. But happen. I'm going to just fall in Yep. You know, so it's a good it's job. A, and my last one, be relentless. Now, being relentless is a mindset. It's not necessarily a physical trait or anything like that. I'm not saying go up and yank grabbers out of the car window. That's what I mean. Um, I think uh, I'm really big into movies too. You ever seen movie of course. Okay, he says always be closing. Yes. Always be hunting. Yes. You can't do it from a target parking lot. Nope. Can't do it from behind Walmart watching Netflix. Yep. Yeah. And if you have down. a radar unit, and if you if you have a radar unit in your cruiser, and you want to sit, park somewhere, sit with your radar unit on. Because the largest methamphetamine arrest I've ever made was sitting on the side of the road running radar from the rear. And I got the guy 15 miles over the speed limit. And it was the largest street level methamphetamine. We don't get a lot of meth up here in Northern Virginia. This this was one of the largest meth arrests in my jurisdiction. And it was all from running radar while I was having lunch, Dave. I had just got out of roll call and I was sitting on the side of the road. I put my front antenna on and my rear antenna on, and I had just taken the Tupperware top off of my off of my lunch, and I heard that I, I looked at my rearview mirror. I saw this car coming up hot, and I heard the tone, 
And I put the, the Tupperware container right back on, put it right in my cooler. And I was like, I'm just going to stop this guy. I'm going to check and make sure that everything's good to go. Right from the get-go, the beginning of the traffic stop, the two inches window rolled down. And then it, the, the rest went south. When refused to give ID, refused to get out of the car, called 911 while he was in the car, just went south quick. I have the audio for it. One day I'll have to email it to you. That's awesome. Hilarious. Hilarious. Um, biggest cash user I ever had. I was working an overtime detail. And I finished. And I thought, I'm going to go home and play Xbox or something. I mean, I was single back in. This, I had just met Mama Bear back in. And I said, I'm just going to go home and play Xbox. I'm, I'll make another pass up, up the interstate. And I stopped one northbound on I 95, flipped over. Guy comes by me at 85, straddle on both lanes, and I got behind him. I was like, cool, I got a drunk. Long and the short, I was just shy of $640,000 cash. Damn. Yeah. Um, Drug money? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think he was going to buy a car for several cars. Jesus. God. But you, you got to be relentless. If you would be great at this, folks, you got to go out with the mindset and always be hunting. Yes. It doesn't matter if it's 7 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock at night, 3 in the afternoon, 3 in the morning. There are bad guys wherever you work. There are criminals wherever you work 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Um, I always looked at it like, like big holidays, like big drinking holidays, like Memorial Day coming up, 4th of July, Thanksgiving, et cetera, et cetera. It killed me when I was teaching the academy at home all the time. Yeah, yeah. That was like sitting on the sideline. Yes, yes. You know, I want I wanted to be out on the big drinking hall. Every time, I was telling my lieutenant, I said, "I'm gonna work till I can't work anymore. I'm gonna sleep and come back out and work some more, yeah. and we'll figure out the college later." Yeah, yeah. He's like, "Get him, guy." Yeah, yeah. That's incredible, man. You know, if you know, this one's not thought. If you look at some of these folks. Who are great at what they do. I'll throw professional athletes out there. Like Tony Gwynn, probably the best pure hitters in baseball. Constantly taking medical practice. Yep. Constantly talking about craft with others who are good or great at. Um, and that doesn't mean that I can't learn something from a guy or girl who's got 18 months, two years on the street. Maybe they come up with something like, hey, this is why I asked my roadside interview. Or this is how I like set my camera angle up or something. I don't, I'm going to take that. I'll put it in my repertoire. I'll go back to trips. Yeah. So don't think because you're new at this that you don't have something wrong. I agree. I agree. Always be learning, even if you are a veteran. Um, you know, the, the newer generation that's coming up, especially with technology. Crazy smart oh, my God. I've learned so much from, like, the newer officers, like, you know, they don't write anything down on a pad anymore. They use their camera on their phone and they take a picture of it, which is ingenious because like, you know, we, us old heads, we copied down the license number, we copied down data, all this other, they just go up there and no pen out. And then when you, when you call them and you're like, Hey, did you get the, um, did you get the VIN number on the car? Yeah. Hold on. I'm going to text you the picture right now. And you're like, text the what do what? Yeah, and it's genius. And and I started doing it before I left my agency. Was I'd prop my phone up on my on my mobile computer, 
and I would zoom into the license. And as I'm typing the report, I would just type it off of the picture that I got and then, you know, swipe to the next thing, which is the vehicle registration and so on and so forth. Had I have not have learned that from a year two officer, I would still be sitting there writing this shit out with a freaking pad and a pen. Not saying that you're writing stuff out, but I think it's a great shortcut. There's other ways. Yeah. 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 Well, Dave, as always, I thought Haley did a great job on the last episode, by the way. Oh, thank you, bud. I appreciate that. That's or I my, said, hey, she crushed it. It's my oldest. Uh, it was tough shoes to fill our goodbye episode to Mike. Um, we'll miss him, but uh, she did a good job. She redid the disclaimer and the introduction, which was kind of funny because just before she recorded it, she was like, you're going to let me curse? And I was like, just this one. <laughs> I'm not naive. I know that she curses all the time, but uh, it took four takes for her to get those because every time she'd curse, she'd like pause and look at me and I'd be like, just do it naturally. Don't even look at me. So kudos to her. She's she's a good kid. She's a good kid. Funny. Um, my buddy, Phil, he, he, he's honestly, I said, my best friend that I work with. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the funny part is we're very similar, but we're very different. I'm like that spoken Yankee. He's a good old country boy. He's the guy I always been to. And he's using my voice for reason. I'm like, hey, Phil, if I do X, Y, and Z, you think I'm just going to get written up? Or am I going to have to spend some time on the beach and do some money? Yeah. He's like, I just got to lose five pounds off your backside. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. He's like, eh, that one might cost you some cash. No one rethinks that. Yeah. That's what Mike was for me on the show while we were still in the profession. He's still in the profession. I am not. Um, and that's why I fully understand why why he had to do what he had to do because for this to really catch on and to grow its mission, you have to have no filter. You have to speak the Absolutely. truth. So, um, Dave, he watched or he was on the last one. He said, "You went an hour and seventeen minutes without dropping an F bomb." That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely dropped a few on this one. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty outspoken, but you can throw that disclaimer out there. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll say enough for you. But Dave, I appreciate you coming on again. Um Dave, I almost want to say that there's gonna be a part three. This is getting crazy, man. This is crazy. All right. We'll figure out some other people to talk to. Well, you're my connection, man. Uh Dave, I want to thank you for coming on, folks. I want you to reach out to me at nick at rollcallroom.com. Send me any uh, anything that you want me to pass on to Dave. Dave, it's a pleasure. Please stay safe out there. Absolutely. Folks, go on rollcallroom.com. Uh, check out uh, Patreon. If you'd like to be a Patreon supporter, helps the show keep on going. We are on YouTube, so subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, and if you are a Patreon supporter, you get a lot of inside stuff. You also get a preview to the uh, episodes before they even come out. So, Dave, thanks for coming out again, bud. It's my pleasure. All right, everybody, be safe out there. All right, folks, we are back from break. Thank you for staying tuned in. I have a very special segment now. This is the first time that we're doing this on the Roll Call Room podcast. 
and this is exclusively only available to Patreon members. Um, once a month, we will select a Patreon member. Uh, and if you don't know how to get Patreon, just go on rollcallroom.com and click on the yellow banner up top that says Patreon uh, and subscribe each month. It's a very small pledge and you get some pretty cool shit. So um, this month, uh, so each month we're going to select a Patreon fan to come on the show and do something fun with. And our first time is with the one, the only Cammy. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Cammy has been with us pretty much since the beginning of the show. Um, always there for us, made up the Patreon cards that you get in your swag packs. That's Cammy. Uh, the one that, um, is on Facebook and Twitter and I think you're on Instagram, right? I am. Okay. All right. So you're all over the place. Okay. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then if you come on our Facebook lives and, and start trouble, Cammy will put you in your fucking place. So, uh, yeah, I got no problem doing that shit whatsoever. I appreciate that. Uh, by the time this thing airs, the live broadcast on Facebook that we did last night will be a thing of the past. that will be so forgotten. So it's not even a point of bringing it up. So uh, I just want to say thank you for being the defender and the unofficial president of the Roll Call Room fan club. So thank you. Well, you're you're so welcome. So happy to do it. Good. Thank you. So this segment that we're going to do is what I like to call, what would you do? Um, it's something <laughs> new. Cammy has no idea what this is going to be about, but in true roll call room fashion, it is going to be, it could be the last time. Yeah. It's could either be really, really good or it can be a fucking train. Wreck. <laughs> so, uh, this is the deal. Just like the question game, I have to give the rules. Okay. I am going to give you a scenario and then I'm going to play you an audio clip and you have only five seconds, five seconds. So I'm setting my clock right now. Uh, I got to get to my clock. You only have five seconds to answer um, as if you were the police officer in this scenario. Those of you that don't know, Cammy is not in law enforcement. She has no connection to law enforcement. She has no law enforcement training. And that is what makes this fucking hysterical. So um, these are everyday. No, take that back. I do have a brother that is in corrections, but. Yeah. So, so by, by relation. That doesn't count. Yeah. So by relation. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I took these uh, scenarios fresh out of real life experiences that I have gone through and probably every cop in America has gone through. And if you're a live PD fan, which I know you are, Cammie, um, uh-huh. These will come as no surprise. So, are you ready to play? What would you do? Are you ready for the answers? I'm ah, ready. Shit, I'm, I've been ready since I recorded these things. <laughs> all right. So, Let's do it. All right. So, you are an officer, and you have just discovered that this person that you encountered is wanted. And uh, they need to go to jail. And you say to them, um, turn around, put your hands behind your pack. Uh, I'm going to place these cuffs on you. And they say, hold on. Fuck you. I'm not going in cuffs. 
and you have five seconds. The fuck you are and get on. I'd knock him in the nuts and get him on the ground and cuff him, cuff him and stuff him. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Awesome. That's the first one. Okay. All right. So second scenario. Um, what was your first answer? You would, you would cuff him and stuff him. You kick him in the nuts. I kick him in the nuts, nuts, and then cuff him and stuff him. Yeah, I have I have leg spasms that the department didn't know about. Yeah, uh, something tells me that you'd be in my predicament right now. You'd be on Indeed every day looking for a new <laughs> job. Uh, for our civilian listeners I, I, out I there, on a scale of one to uh, ten, uh, in the police academy, that would score like a two. Uh, so good job, uh, good job, but not a good job. But all right, uh, second one, second scenario. Here we go. Here we go. Second scenario. Okay. Uh, okay. You go up to the driver's seat, driver's window on a traffic stop, and the driver is acting hinky, uh, reaching around. Um, you've told them to put their hands on the steering wheel several times. Uh, and then you turn around and tell them to get out of the car. And their response to you is this. Listen, I'm not getting out of the motherfucking car. I tell them they're going to get out of the motherfucking car. I open the car door. I tase them, yank them out, and wait for backup. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even talk to them? You just, you just like, fuck you. You just... Rip the car yeah. open. I told you, I gave you several chances to get out of the motherfucking car. You're getting out. <laughs> Tased and all. Jesus Christ. And then I'd be right back where I was with the first scenario in the office. Yeah. Looking on, looking for jobs on Indeed. <laughs> uh, all right. So now I'm going to switch it up, which is as you get up to the driver's side and the window is rolled down. And you start conducting your traffic stop and the person go is on their cell phone, talking on their cell phone. And you instruct them to get off of the phone and they tell you this. I'm not getting off the phone. I'm on the phone with my attorney, motherfucker. Tell your attorney to call you back. Open up the car door. Get out of the car or I tase your ass with backup coming. Tammy, I mean, Tammy, you really like using the taser. It seems like there's a theme going on with your taser usage. Um, uh-huh. I like to inflict pain when necessary. Good for you. Good for you. Good for <laughs> you. No hands on for you. Uh, so, no. So you get. Why this... waste my energy? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to go home tired. Um, uh-uh. Yeah. So you get the suspect out of the car and you bring them to the back of the car. Um, they're in handcuffs and you begin your search of their person. And inside of their front right pocket is a small bag that you suspect is illegal narcotics. Um, you ask them post Miranda, um, you know, what's in their pants? What is this that you just recovered? And they say to you, Damn, son, those aren't even my fucking pants, yo. I like that you're laughing. Hold on. <laughs> Damn, son, those okay, aren't even my fucking so, pants, yo. Uh, 
I tell her his pants because he has them on and he should have checked them if they weren't his before he put them on. Too bad. I tase him, I cuff him, and I stuff him. You tase him even if he's in handcuffs? Sure, why not? Oh my God. You're gonna be on <laughs> you're gonna be on the nightly news. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Oh my god. Uh, I would have told him that if if they weren't his pants, he should have checked them before he put them on and that they're his drugs and that's all there is to it. Bam. Good. I like that one. You did good on that one, all right? Okay. All right. So um same thing and handcuffs. You know this such subject previously you've had encounters with him. Um and this person has been known to carry weapons on them. So during your search incident to arrest, you detect a bulge during your search and you say, what is this? And they say to you, that's my dick pig. (laughs) Well, being that this is a male subject that I have in cuffs, Mm-hmm. and it is close to where I think it might be, mm-hmm. I will sit there and wait for backup so that I can have a male come and grab his dick, move it over, and grab the gun. Bingo! That is the winner right there. Yay! You got it right. Or uh, I ask him for his phone number. Oh, shit. <laughs> and those of you that missed that last, uh, those of you that missed that last one, I'm going to play it for you again. That's my dick, pig. So those are the five questions for what would you do? What'd you think, Cammy? I loved it. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I had a blast recording these things, and uh, it was it was pretty funny. All of these have come from real life situations that I've gone through, um, and I think they're hilarious. So what we will do from time to time is we'll we will have guests on. Um, and if we have law enforcement officers that come on, we'll make them a little bit more complicated and a little bit more funnier. Um, but I like this segment and I think we're going to continue this and do it again. What'd you think? I think so. I think this is, this is awesome. This is cool. Awesome. Awesome. So, and then it, it, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and now it just gives you more of of a perspective of how mentally, um, Deranged I am at this point. <laughs> so, uh, so just so that we can uh, talk about the show for a minute. So, show's going in an, in an, I guess, same but different direction. Um, you know, you've been a loyal fan for a long time. So, what's your what's your take? What's your feeling on the show and where we're going? Well, you know, at first I was I was heartbroken because of the situation and, and what had transpired, but mm-hmm. um, you're still going to basically carry on the same theme, the same aspect. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm excited in the direction this is going. I'm excited for, for uh, oh yeah, what was his name? Uh, <laughs> oh, <Mike>. no. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, I Peter? just talked to him today. No, Mike. Yeah. Mike. Uh, I'm excited for the direction he's going to be going into. And it's like you said before, you know, why not hit the, why not hit the aspect of, you know, um, mental aware, mental awareness and hit it from two directions versus just one side. You've got two angles to go through. So I'm excited for you both. I'm excited the way this is going. Me too. Me too. Uh, 
know, Mike and I talked today about it. Mike's super pumped about getting his first episode out. I'm pumped for him. Um, so I think good things are going to come and, you know, the way that fate works out, um, you know, we might meet in the middle somewhere in the future. So, um, yeah. you know, he's, his seats things always, always have a way of working themselves out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cammy, I want to thank you for coming on. I know that we've tried to do this a couple of times and technical difficulties have held us back, but I really appreciate you coming on. Um, and, uh, this audio will be up on Patreon tonight for the Patreon members to listen to. Uh, so if you want exclusive content, content like this, you need to go on um, the rollcallroom.com. I'm sorry, rollcallroom.com, not the rollcallroom.com. And subscribe to Patreon. It takes five bucks, seven bucks, and 11 bucks a month. Uh, one, one of the three. You don't have to do all three. Um, so we greatly appreciate the pledges. Keeps the show going. Um, I think I lost you. Cammy, you there? Yeah. yeah, I'm here. Okay, I thought I lost you. So, uh, helps us go and you get exclusive content. Uh, I try and post a couple of things a day on there. And then when we do an episode, just before it's released, before I prematurely release it every single time, I try and release uh, 15 to 25 minutes of the episode for Patreon members only. So, um, you know, greatly helps us out. Cammy, you want to uh, say anything to the fans before we sign off? So whoever's elected next, give them the same crap that I did, because chances are we'll all end up in the room together looking for jobs. Yes. Yes. That's going to be my new thing is, is that you're, you'll be searching for jobs on Indeed like me. Uh, right. And so, thank, thanks for letting me be the first one, Nick. That's awesome. I appreciate that. I, I couldn't think of anybody else. So folks, uh, folks, if you need anything, please reach out Nick at rollcallroom.com. Um, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, keep the show going. And as always, take good care of each other. And see you on the next episode. Like and share, share, like. See you later. Yeah. Peace. All right, fans, thanks so much for tuning in to another great episode of The Roll Call Room. I want to remind you that uh, we are on YouTube. Go on our YouTube channel and subscribe. We're also on Twitter at Roll Call Room. We're also on Facebook at Roll Call Room Podcast. We're also on Instagram. Uh, We're always asking for you guys to go on iTunes and rate us a five star with a comment. Um, Helps us climb the charts. Uh, Don't forget to check out bluehelp.org. If you're struggling out there um, and you need somebody to talk to, we'd highly recommend them. Don't forget about our nonprofit, um, tagfink.com. We got some great shows coming up soon. And uh, we love hearing from you guys. So please email us at nick at rollcallroom.com or mike at rollcallroom.com. And always take care of each other. Look out for each other and check on each other. 